You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got returning guest, Claire Sara. Hi, Claire. How are you going? Well, thanks, Tony. How are you? Very well. Claire, you're one of the very first guests on our little podcast, Max's Island. Since the middle of last year, I know that you've done a whole lot of work with the Flow Research Collective and really developed uh, a clear understanding of of the concept of flow and any particular relating it to everyday life and, and the future. So perhaps you can tell our listeners what your journey's been over the last 10 months or so and what you see things happening for you in the short term. Yeah, so it's been quite the journey since we last spoke in this uh, podcast and really what happened is July last year, so um, a few months after, after we spoke. When we spoke, I had just come back from some training in the States to be a certified flow coach. And I had met a group of people who were very passionate about flow as well and were training with me. And I guess at that time, I didn't realize where I would land here and now, I guess 10 months later, and how much my life was going to change in many different ways, so personally and professionally. In a long story short, I guess, is what happened is I ended up being invited to work for the Flow Research Collective. Initially, Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel ran the Flow Genome Project, which is who I trained with. And then early last year, they split and Stephen founded a new organisation dedicated to decoding the neurobiology of flow slightly different emphasis to Jamie Wheel at Flow Research, uh, Flow Genome Project, and one that, you know, the purpose behind the Flow Research Collective is to essentially work out exactly what's going on in the brain when we're in that state, flow state being the state of consciousness when we feel our best and perform our best, and from that point, try and train the world up, I guess, in how to access that state more frequently so that we can accelerate human development. Over the past 12 months, how has the, uh, the knowledge base of flow developed? 
it's quite interesting because it's such new science and there's actually more questions than answers at this point. There's a few things we know to be true in terms of the neurochemical mix that's happening in the brain when we're in that state as well as the neuroelectricity. However, it's different for everyone to a point and we don't know exactly when those chemicals are showing up. So there's a lot of research at this point going into furthering that work to really deeply understand it. But there has been a breakthrough um, earlier this year. In fact, when we were in Seattle doing another event with the Research Collective and Stephen Kotler thinks, and in collaboration with Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a Stanford neuroscientist that we work really closely with, he's on our board at FRC, they think they have worked out what is happening in the first two seconds of the flow state, which is a pretty prolific uh, and exciting discovery. And we're just sort of unpacking and unraveling that at this point in time. So there has been a bit of a breakthrough very recently, but uh, there's still many, many questions and many gaps in the research. And that's why we're wanting to invite so many people into the collective to work with us because there's a lot of research that needs to be done and we need collaborators to do that with so that's why it's a collective so that people can join us and work with us and identify the gaps and help us get further toward knowing exactly what's happening in the brain when we're in flow so that we can get better at training people to access access that state more frequently so i was invited to work with them in july as a performance coach or as a flow coach and that was a fantastic privilege and opportunity and I did a lot of coaching from July through till December last year, taking clients of FRC through an eight-week program. So the content was delivered online and then they would have fortnightly 60-minute coaching sessions with me. So the idea is that you learn the science and then apply the science in your everyday life. And the coaching helps people take that science and really look at how to interpret it and translate it and apply it in in their lives according to their own psychology, physiology, goals, work. So that was wonderful opportunity. I really loved the coaching. I think it became for me a primary flow activity. So I think I've mentioned previously, I would find my flow in learning and, and creating through learning. Um, but then I found a new, a new flow experience to be the coaching, the one-on-one coaching which is all done online on in Zoom in this kind of context. But it's amazing how much connection you can create quickly in this kind of format. So that was a huge growth and learning period for me as I learned how to really step into the role of a flow coach. And I got to know many, many wonderful clients who are now, many of them are, are good friends and are still working with us and training with us at the collective. And then over time, and this is where it's nice to reflect back on what happened and, and actually take that moment because my role grew from being a coach into actually stepping into an executive role there at the at FRC as the head of client experience and essentially heading up their entire fulfillment side of, of the business, which means that I had the I had and have the opportunity to design their curriculum, to um, design the experience of the curriculum, and then to actually teach it and facilitate it. And there's a number of different programs now. So we had our flagship eight-week program, but there's also two other programs. One is a, a train-the-trainer program where we're actually training up others to be able to take this flow training into their work, into their context, whether they're coaches themselves, or whether they're leaders inside organisations, or even just as as parents. It's actually quite interesting how many people are using this to look at how they might bring it into their families and, and bring more flow into their 
uh, children's lives and, and it's an interesting context right now with the COVID-19, how um, so many parents have kids at home and the question we're getting so frequently is, how do I get flow when I've got kids around or how do I get my kids to have more flow and focus as they're having to teach them at home and do schooling at home, that kind of thing. But that's a bit of a side note, but interesting. So there's there's the Train the Trainer program and then there's finally a 12-month um, mastermind, which we're just launching now, which is really leadership-focused and looking at how to lead people into this future that actually was a little bit faster than we thought. So Steve Kotler talks a lot about exponential change and converging technologies and this future that is accelerating at an unprecedented rate and how we might as humans move into that space and actually thrive in that space and then COVID-19 hit and suddenly we all had a very very tangible example of what that change and uncertainty level of uncertainty actually feels like and it went from being more of an esoteric sort of thought experiment that a lot of people were interested in but probably couldn't quite get their heads around I mean I don't know if I really even understood what exponential change really was until this moment in time where the level you know there is just no certainty. I mean, arguably there's never any certainty, but we globally are now facing exactly what we've been talking about for a while at the at the collective, a future that requires us to absolutely be able to harness these kind of conditions for growth and development rather than be shut down or fearful of them or paralyzed by the level of uncertainty and change that we're facing. I'd love to talk a little bit further about the future, but I just want to go back to what you just mentioned around the development of the flow concept within families uh, and extending it beyond just work and career and goals. And I'm really interested always in when things become mainstream, you know, the classic Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point, there are things that are really important initiatives, drivers in in life. And, And often there's a tipping point when it becomes the norm or it becomes well understood, that, that whole viral concept. So I'm always interested when things go mainstream. So the pathway for this way of thinking, do you see it being totally in the space of business and, and driven people? And will this be driven more when it gets to the family level? It's a really interesting point. So I think the way I talk about it is this is for leaders and if you're a human, you're a, you're a leader. So whether you're a parent, whether you're someone's partner, whether you're a friend of someone, that's all requires a level of leadership, even just in the context of yourself. Self-leadership is a very important thing to be conscious of and more and more, I think, as we take responsibility for this world and become more conscious of, of what we're trying to do and why we're here and what needs to be done. And again, I think this scenario, this global pandemic has really highlighted what is wrong in this world right now and how we as individuals can actually contribute to shifting or changing that. So I think we talk about it at the Flow Research Collective very much in a business leadership context. However, I see frequently people initially in particular using the skills that they're learning at a family level. And, you know, if you can't get these things right at a family level, if you can't communicate well, if you can't hold multiple perspectives at once, sense make and choice make with really good truth filters or mental models, if you can't do that at a, at a family level, it's going to be very difficult to do it at an organisational level or at a government level. So it isn't mainstream. Certainly flow science and trying to get 
this concept inside organisations is very difficult. However, all it is is teaching and training people how to use their brains and bodies to feel better and to perform better. So it's a very simple technology, it's a very simple concept to bring into any kind of leadership approach or leadership framework that already exists. And therefore, I just, I just don't see, it's just a no-brainer when it comes to at some point soon becoming a mainstream concept. Especially now, what, it, what uncertainty, you know, we've talked about VUCA conditions in business for a, over a decade. So VUCA being volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous conditions. And leaders and organisations have been trying to guard against VUCA or protect from VUCA for a long time. It's been seen as a negative in most organisations rather than something to harness and lean into and use. And I think, you know, what I've been talking about for a long time, what my thesis is based on is how to reframe VUCA for actually exactly the conditions required for people to do their best work and feel their best. So it simultaneously can be harnessed to up-level well-being and to up-level performance and innovation. And that's a difficult concept for people to get their heads around, but it's, it's just based on evolution. So for the last 100 years or so, with the Industrial Revolution, leadership and organisations essentially have been shutting down our hardwired need or desire to seek and to learn and to grow. So there's a system in the brain known as the seeking system, and that's what enabled us to hunt and gather, have the courage to hunt and gather, have the courage to explore the world, have the courage to build relationships. And if you think about 20th century leadership and organisations to, to seek and to learn and to grow and to fail and to make mistakes and to um, innovate wasn't what was required of people. Instead, it was all about mass production, productivity. So the leadership style was designed to shut down the need and desire to, to seek, learn and grow and to, to do something very different. And that has ended up partly why we have such terrible engagement inside organisations and why mental health is such an issue. So that innate hardwired desire to essentially seek flow has been shut down. So a lot of this work now is about reigniting the seeking system, reawakening it, reawakening intrinsic motivation that leads to flow, that leads to creativity, innovation, accelerated learning, all those kind of things that we need humans to step into and, and grow and develop as we move into a future where machines can now do what we've been doing and we need to step into our humanness and grow and accelerate human development to to play a meaningful role in this future, whatever that ends up looking like. So, I okay, I, I want to move into the future bit and we can talk sort of broadly and aesthetically about that. But I've got a, a bit of a thought bubble at the moment about what's happening at, at this present time. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the new normal and things are changing and people will look at going forward differently once we're all back into routine, which by definition is probably a contradiction. And I think there's going to be a gulf between those that are able to develop a new normal, take this as a great opportunity, and those who are currently defaulting back to the old way. And I think there is a much broader gulf. I think before COVID-19 and the whole shutdown, there were shoots of people doing things differently, but the mass was still, a, I think we're still in a generation that is carrying over the hierarchic command type philosophy of leadership. And there are some people I'm sure that are developing 
that are defaulting back to a self-preservation position, which is in fact becoming more distant from this new way of thinking. So I think there'll be some organisations that will actually be really beat up over this current uh, environment and their salvation will be going back to what it used to be like. And they will be left behind by those organisations that have taken this disruptive environment and actually created a new normal. And, and people that are going, I am ready for something different, will be the ones that will leapfrog many other organisations and move forward much, much more quickly than those that revert back to their, their old way. Absolutely. I worry at times, you know, as, as you know, Perth is starting to open up again. And I, I think that will accelerate over the next couple of weeks and we'll get back to normal soon, whatever that it will be a new normal. But and I just I just worry and I, I'm thinking about this more you know, globally as well. Have we had enough time to really learn the lessons that needed to be learned for us not to move into the future with old thinking and old ways? So I just I just wonder if it's just been a little bit too quick and maybe we just needed a little bit longer to really sit with this and, and feel it and hopefully then move, move into the future with a growth mindset. And I, I think the problem is it's just fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I think the hierarchical leadership of the last 20, 30 years has, is driven by a, a, a lack of learning. So I really love this definition of leadership being you know, what is leadership? And there's just so many different definitions. And, and I've always been about looking at leadership as from a servant leadership perspective. So leadership is about empowering others. However, I think also leadership is learning and that's it. If, and if you're not continuously learning as a leader and as an organisation, then you just, there's the risk of becoming highly irrelevant very quickly. So I think... The other issue is if, if organisations and leadership is not willing to change and change fast, they will implode anyway because of the disengagement and mental health issues that they're facing and are not, not doing anything about. It's not that it's, um, you know, there's, there's, everyone's aware of this now. It's, it's certainly on the minds of leaders and HR departments and, and people are very aware of the issue, but I think people are still not sure how to solve it. And again, I think unless that seeking system, that intrinsic motivation that, that is developed through things like passion and curiosity and purpose and meaningfulness, unless that is reawakened, then organisations are, are going to go nowhere fast because their people will not be able to perform. So, yeah, I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know if we've learned our lessons well enough. I don't know if the older generations are going to listen to the younger generations. That's the biggest problem right now, I think, is the disconnect between people who are in CEO roles or executive roles and the, the younger generation. How do, we, how do we find a bridge between those two worlds? And empathy is probably the answer, I would say. Really, really committing to stepping into each other's shoes and, and understanding different perspectives. But... I'm not sure if we're capable of that yet. We'll see. I tend to agree with you. Okay, let's finish up by just looking at the future. And I'm interested in this, these concepts of exponential change and converging technologies and those sorts of things. So can you just explain what that means and, you know, what you see happening in the next 12 months in this area? 
Well, I recommend reading a book, The Future is Faster Than You Think. So this is Stephen Kotler and Peter Daimondi's latest book. It came out early this year. In fact, they launched it in New York the week that COVID-19 hit. And, and that's, that's where they joke just themselves that the, the future was actually faster than even they thought. You know, in that book, they talk about uh, Ray Kurzweil's idea that the world is, that the, the kind of change that we're going to see in the next, I think it's 10 years, is equivalent to what we saw in a in 100 years. So it's, it's just this unprecedented, rapid change. And that is a result of converging technologies. So a lot of things exponentially moving forward and developing and then converging. So it's everything from flying cars that will hit, you know, in the next two years to being hologrammed into your office in New York City whilst from Perth. That kind of that kind of level of you know blow your mind. The world is we're going to do things very differently, and that's 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 five years off. It's not decades off. So really, the idea is you know we can't imagine what this looks and feels like. We we we're not um, our brains are not designed to be able to imagine that kind of thing or relate to it in the future. It's very difficult to relate to ourselves in the future. So the, the point is is that. To survive in that future, we've got to get good at this kind of scenario where things change overnight and where rather than it debilitating us, whether it's personally or professionally or as an organisation, we're anti-fragile enough to be able to harness those conditions for growth and learning. And getting back to just, you know, our brains are actually wired for this. We are actually designed to thrive in this kind of situation. And I keep bringing it back to now because we have just had a real taste of what, what this future feels like and that and it'll it'll be tenfold twentyfold the the example I use now and again is what happened what would have happened or what would have been like if COVID-19 and the Australian bushfires hit at the same time and they were really only a month apart what kind of you know devastation or complexity that that's right there that that would create and how would we deal with that as as a government as leaders, as people, and it, it won't—it won't always be devastating things that hit at the same time. You know, it, it can be amazing things, but there's this complexity is going to build and build and build. And we're just—this is why we need to our brains to grow. You know, our, our human brains are designed to grow throughout life. They don't—it doesn't stop. We 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 get we're better at it as kids, and we need to get better at it as our adults. We need to learn this. A lot of this work is around learning how to continue that, what they call neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity occurs when certain conditions are present and those conditions are a level of agitation or stress, some, some kind of urgency, and then also good recovery. So sleep being the most important one, but allowing your brain to recover and rest and then learn again. And that, that's how you can grow your brain essentially. So these conditions that we're facing right now there's certainly agitation and stress. There's certainly a level of urgency around this situation. If we have really good routines and practices and habits to ensure that we're resting and recovering in this kind of stress, then we have the ability to, to grow and develop through it. And just a tangible example of what, what that might mean or look like is, you know, that's what, that's what scientists are trying to work on a, a vaccine or a treatment for COVID-19 they know how to look after their brains and bodies in this moment, they're going to get to that solution quicker. So that would be why you would want to be, you know, a a number of people, you know, the world hopefully train up in this way so that 
when complexity hits, when there's an urgency, where we're able to step into our humanness and our brains and find solutions and problem solve and move the world forward. Well, Claire, I know that pre-COVID you were planning on going to the States. So I hope that over the next few months, things loosen up in terms of international travel and you do get that opportunity to go to the States to work and to continue the studies in this area. And perhaps we can have you back as a returning guest in the future to tell us about the future and the future that we can all look forward to and thrive in. Yes, well, I hope to get to New York for sure. I'm lucky that I can do this job remotely. So I'm very grateful to be working through this moment in time. And New York is in my heart and I, I hope to get there soon for sure. Thanks for joining us on Max's Island today, Kate. Thank you for having me, Tony. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play. And how, how it had turned out this way. Short-term escape, five weeks on the bibbling track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way No one's an island, but sometimes it's good to pretend Oh, no.